I think I want to fiddle up here every Sunday. I love that. But anyway, to those who are more classy and mature, that is a, a violin. I do know that. But where I'm from, we call it a fiddle. Anyway, okay. If you haven't guessed, today our subject is Family Feud. And of course, we couldn't mention Family Feud without our own celebrity himself, Corby Hainline. Yeah, he, he was on the Family Feud. If you, if you don't know that, he'll tell you all about that if you meet up with him. Uh, but anyway, uh, Corby, of course, was on there several months back, and uh, I, I didn't get to see. I'm still waiting on the rerun. But anyway, uh, so good to have him be a part of that, I guess. And uh, I think it was. They said they won one game and lost the next, but maybe you know more than I know. But anyway, the show, when it comes to the Family Feud, had a special week called the Hatfields and McCoys. And what's really cool about our church <laughs> is the fact we have both Hatfields and McCoys in it. Of course, one married into it, but June and, and Ola, they're almost sitting beside each other. Go, go, ahead. <laughs> go ahead and stand up, brother. Go ahead, there you go, June, stand up. We got Miss Hatfield and Mr. McCoy, okay? They're, <laughs> they're here. What's really cool is they co that one time they co-taught a class here at the church. So we had Hatfield and McCoy teaching the same class. That's really cool when you really think about it. But when you think about this whole idea of the Hatfields and McCoys, they had this special episodes where the descendants of those Hatfields who were from West Virginia and the McCoys who were from Kentucky, they had them there on the show one time. And instead of the buzzer going off, they had gunshots every time they hit the, the thing. Now, when you think about the feud itself, which dates back, way back there, some believe the feud began when a Union soldier was coming back from war and was shot. One would say, no, it seemed to escalate, the feud seemed to escalate uh, with a fight over the ownership of a hog. That's a pig. <laughs> and it's gone on for many, many years, this feud. Now, the thing we need to understand is with this idea of a feud, I want you to think about your own life. I, I know there's families that carry feuds. Matter of fact, uh, there's some uh, close connections to my own family that my dad seems to be in the middle of at times in which there's two sisters going after one another. And, and it's alive and well. Some of y'all may have families that are like that where there's real live feuds going on between families. And sometimes when you really peel it all back, you find out that the real reason for the conflict doesn't make sense. And I think many times when it comes to our own feuding or our own conflicts, we would find that there's something probably a little deeper than the conflict that we're having. There's something else that's a little bit deeper. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning. So turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Now, how would you describe your relationship with those, with those relationships with those around you? Are they loving or hurtful? Are they growing or in crisis? Are they mature or needing help? Are they intimate or in conflict? A better question may be this. What is the direction of your relationship with those around you, especially those that you're closest to? Are they moving towards intimacy or isolation? Are they moving towards betterment or bitterness? Are they moving toward caring or conflict? You know, when you really think about it, there is this idea that, that so many times, even in the confines of the most special relationships between a husband and wife, when you begin to look at that, you, you begin to see that there are definitely seasons in a relationship. How many of you would agree with that? 
There's seasons in relationships. But when it comes to a husband and wife, it, it, it's really amazing to watch sometimes as we go through these relationships. And, and there's times with our spouse that we feel the intimacy and we know that it's there. And then there's times we obviously feel the isolation. Now, for those who are better than our relationships, I know your, your marriage is all about the intimacy. It's all great. And bless your heart, we don't want to even talk to you. But anyway, the rest of us, sometimes we go through struggles. And it's tough keeping a relationship where it needs to be. How many of you agree with that? It is with our spouse. It is with our children. It is with our coworkers. It's tough sometimes. And so many times as we look at it, especially as we look into Scripture, we see that conflict was in the Scriptures. Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau, Joseph of the Old Testament and his brothers, King David and his sons, Job and his wife. They had it out at times. Hosea and his unfaithful wife. Of course, his unfaithful, unfaithful wife was Gomer. I, I, I don't know that I can marry a Gomer. I, I'm just really struggling with that. <laughs> and then you make your way to the New Testament and Mary and Martha, they got into it. Do you remember the story? They definitely got into it. The disciples didn't always see eye to eye. There seemed to be some jealousy there. Paul and Barnabas had their disagreement. Matter of fact, Paul and Peter had a disagreement. It seemed like Paul had a lot of conflict around him at times. And the thing that we need to know is the fact that we are not alone when it comes to this idea of conflict. There's plenty of examples in scriptures, in the scriptures, but look on your outline. Solutions concerning conflict resolution are also found throughout scripture. Even though we see conflict, there are things that can help us when it comes to the conflicts in our lives. The prevailing solution seems to be found in a person's character and temperament, which for the believer ultimately comes from their willingness to submit to God's truth and the Holy Spirit. Go ahead and play that. Come out here to talk about tearing these tiles. You know, we have a sense of daughter Jace. She cries when you look at her sideways. Never mind it to do what she does with her. Sorry, I haven't read as many parenting books as you, but maybe she just needs to learn to cope. Not getting to read a book before bed is not the end of the world. Sometimes you cry when you don't get to read your kettle at night. Me, I'm more of a Netflix guy, so it's really nice. Stop. Okay, just stop it. Everything is a joke with you. I feel like we're not communicating anymore. Okay. This is about us. Oh, you, you communicate. Great. Yo, yeah, will you undermine me all the time in front of her? In, in, in front of everyone, for that matter. Our, our friends, our family. You cut my legs off at the knees, and it's a master. You do that all on your own, 
say it. I'm not like you, and that's the problem, right? Well, surely I have some use to you. You're not just here for my benefit. I'm here for you, too. I'm just telling you that you can just... And I'm telling you, I'm not your father. The reason I chose that video is because I think you hear the different sources of conflict in the middle of that argument, didn't you? I, I want to take a little poll, and I, I want everybody to participate, okay? Just tell me what you think. How many of you think the woman was right? Raise your hand. How many of you think the man was right? Raise your hand. How many of you think they were both wrong? Raise your hand. Okay, all right, there we go. I, I was beginning to wonder there. I, here's what I thought would actually happen. I, think, I thought all the women would raise in support of the woman and all the men would raise in support of the man because really when you think about the argument that you just heard, what you're hearing is amazing things when it relates to what the man needs and what the woman needs in a relationship. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But what are the sources of conflict? Look on your outline. We see the emotions of conflict. And the first thing that we would probably recognize right away is much of the time, anger enters into our conflicts. Now, anger, if you really think about it, does not have to be a part of conflict. But guess what? Most of us, that's where we go immediately, don't we? Because sometimes it's with that one thing, the conflict has always, it seems like conflict is always there lying in wait, doesn't it? And there's that one trigger that, that heightens it to the point that something angers us. And then the conflict begins to take on communication and a language of its own. How many of you realize that? It's like that thing that sets it off. And, and many times it comes forth with anger. In Proverbs 15, 1, it says this, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up what? Anger, it stirs up anger. I want you to look at uh, Colossians chapter three. We're getting ready to look at verse eight, but let me set this up for you. What you basically have in Colossians chapter three is the same thing that Paul writes in a lot of his other, other letters in which he's trying to make a contrast between what we once were before Christ and what our life should look like now after we've been in, in Christ. He's literally talking, for some of you, you know the language, the old man versus the new man, if you know what I'm talking about. And so what he says in verse eight, look, look what he says. He says, but now you yourselves, he's talking about now that you're, in Christ are to put off all these anger, 
wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Now think about what verse eight is talking about. I believe verse eight is not just a list. I think the, the list is congruent. I think that everything goes together. I think what it's talking about is how we deal with conflict because these are things that we see in the midst of conflict. The Bible says in James 1.19, as it relates to anger, everyone should be quick to what? Listen, slow to what? Speak and slow to become angry. Now think about that. That's a good word, right? But is that the way your conversations go when you have conflict? Now, honey, we, listen, we're, we're called to, to listen to one another. Now, now listen, we're not to be so quick to speak. Let me hear your side and then I'll tell you a little bit about my side. Is that how our conversations go in the midst of conflict? Has to be pretty mature for that to take place, doesn't it? And it is amazing. Now, a second thing that we find, the emotions of conflict, guilt and shame. It's amazing how those two go, go together. I want you to look at what he says in verse nine. He says, do not lie to one another. I think so many times when we look at scripture, we see it's obvious, I believe in verse eight, that he's talking about how to deal with conflict. And he's basically saying that none of these things in this list should be a part of that. But verse nine, the first part of that is also, I believe, the language of conflict in which we're not to lie to one another. Did you know that exaggerations are lies? But how many of us use them in the midst of conflict? You always, right? That's some of our go-to, right? You never. Well, y'all looking at me pretty intent. I must be hitting some buttons here this morning. But it is, and we begin to lie. But I believe the major source of the lying really rests with our guilt and shame. Most conflict does not come from the issues that we're even talking about most of the time. It's the underlying issues. How many of you ever been around people that, that, that it's almost like they're a fight waiting to happen? You ever been around people like that? Now, don't look at one another. Just, just listen to what I'm saying. It's like they're a fight waiting to happen. It's like all you got to do, you feel like you just say one word, you're going to set them off. Walking on eggshells. Always. There's always conflict. But you see, have you ever wondered where that comes from? I believe guilt and shame may be at the heart of conflict. Much conflict, listen, may be the results of one person living under a cloud of conviction. If shame, listen, if shame is not dealt with, it can be the underlying conflict in a relationship. I've seen that play out in many people, especially between spouses, where there's something else going on and, and there's nothing that's going to be right. Have you ever noticed this about yourself when you're under conviction? Nothing is right while you're under conviction, is it? Nothing's right. You can enjoy the joys that God brings into your life because you're experiencing conviction. You, you can't embrace the things that God wants to bring into your life because you're experiencing conviction. You can't receive intimacy very well because there's something about, there's a heaviness in your spirit that will not allow you to go there. And I'm convinced that a lot of people are suffering with that. And I'm convinced there's people who are wondering what, the, what that person's all about. They can't see it. It's like, have you ever said this to a person? What is wrong with you? You ever said that? We all said that, haven't we? There's really good logic to that. Now, I don't recommend you go and use that, but, but, I, but there really is. What's at the source 
of the conflict. Sometimes it's not the conflict between two people. Sometimes it's the conflict between a per, in a, in, within one person. And it just spills over. And that's what I've found many times. So we see the emotions of conflict. But then look on your outline. We see the enhancers of conflict. The reason I use the word enhancer is because it's the idea that something grows larger in agitation. How many of you at times in your marriage or, or at times with people you're close to in your relationships that your agitation begins to grow towards that person? You ever been there? You lying if you hadn't? We've been there. A growing agitation. Look at verse 9. He says, do not lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds, there's the assumption that before Christ, before this transformation that took place in your life, that you acted over here one way, and he's calling that out. And then he says in verse 9, now that you put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of God who created him. So, so if that's the case, if we have put on the new man, if we're something new in Christ, if there's a different expectation about how we're to conduct ourselves, then why in the world do we have these what I call enhancers in our conflict? Well, part of it is we don't understand ourselves sometimes. How many of you have ever had a reaction to something and you had to take a step back and wonder, where did that come from? You ever done that? Yeah. And sometimes it's something that's there. It's within us. So what could some of those things be? Look on your outline. It could be past dysfunction. Something that lies in the, your past that, that will not allow you to draw close to someone else because there's something there. It's always been there. For me, I remember it well. I, I remember there was something that I never understood why I dealt with this, this inner conflict the way I did until I learned that I had two things wrong with me. I had the fear of rejection in me. I, I feared rejection. I feared failure. It affected my relationships. There were times I didn't even understand to what degree. And, and thank goodness, God brought me to a course. Uh, how many of you remember the course, Search for Significance? I taught it here many times. And it revealed so much about me and my past dysfunction that I had to work through. A lot of the, the dysfunction we deal with, let me just put it out there, is basically lies that we believe about ourselves. And if, we, if those lies are, are, remain there, the dysfunction begins to grow. But you know what I had to do? I had to replace the lie with God's truth. I had to see myself in who he was. But guess what? As long as it was there, as long as it was motivating me, many times I, I didn't even know where the conflict was even coming from. Of course, I would blame it on the other people. How many of you have done that? You ever hear someone says, what's wrong with you? How many of you ever answered back and said, you? <laughs> Sometimes it can be back on us. Doesn't that rain sound good? I used to hate it when it rained on Sunday. Now we'll just take it when we can get it, right? <laughs> but anyway, we have all these different things. And now so for some people, the root cause may be past abuse. Some of you, I mean, I've talked to some of you. I, I can't imagine going through some of the things you had to go through as a younger person. I can't imagine some of the abuses that came your way and tried to develop as a person with that abuse hanging over you. And many of you have gotten help over that. But listen, a lot of times when, if we don't get help in these situations, it shows up in other relationships. It shows up in other relationships. Next, 
an enhancer of conflict could be poor communication. I believe this is where a lot of it lies. What is really behind the conflict? I mean, think about it. When we have conflict, most of the time, we're not even talking about what the real issue is. Some of you are like, yeah, we're pretty sure. Really? I guarantee you, if you start peeling it away, you'll find out there's other things there. It's something a little bit deeper. Sometimes it's needs not being met. Sometimes it's running from conflict. Sometimes it's issues of trust. Good communication, listen, happens in a safe environment. You know what the problem is for many of us with, with those who we're supposed to be closest to? Listen, the problem is we don't feel safe in communicating with that person. I met wives who were afraid to have conversations with their husbands, certain conversations. They literally were fearful. I've met that before. I, I, I've, I've, been, I've met with husbands who felt the same way. It was just something. It wasn't safe to share. There wasn't safe to go there. We've got to create safety in our relationships that we can have free and open communication. Thirdly, some of you may laugh at this, but it's true. We saw it in the video, parenting disagreements. How many of you agree that we are all probably raised in different ways? Yeah, a lot of us were raised with dysfunction. Matter of fact, I haven't met a family yet that didn't have a little dysfunction in it. We all have it. We all pass it down. We all are victims of it. We all carry it on. And sometimes when it comes to raising our children, sometimes the dysfunctions clash. How many of you ever seen that before? And all of a sudden, there's this disagreement. Uh, well, my mom always said, well, my dad always said, well, grandpa always said, I mean... We get into all these things. Again, can create walls. We must grow. Listen, the key to this stuff is growing in our understanding. We got to learn. When it says uh, eager to uh, slow to anger and basically eager to learn, it's, it's coming to a point of understanding. We need to learn to understand one another. Here's another enhancer. Life transitions. I see this all the time. I see it when people are going off to college. That can be a life transition, can't it? Especially for college students, especially for parents trying to, I mean, that's a toughie. I remember when we went and took Jonathan off to college and, and I'll be honest with you, his mom was crying, but I was like, see ya, man. Have, have a, have. Make your way, man. You, you, your man's man. You go on out there. You do it, right? <laughs> Seven years later, dropping the girl off. I was the one with the tears. It's amazing, you know, when we go through these transitions. It, it can be tough. How about new jobs? How about loss of a loved one? Boy, it creates all kinds of emotions. Many times it's inner conflict because we don't know how to deal with it. We've never taught, been taught anything about grief. And so when people get around us, it's like, what, what's wrong? You know, we don't even know what's going on within ourselves. Retirement. This was one I never saw coming. I, I remember you, over the last 20 years of being a pastor, I, I would hear someone's 
retiring and, and, and <laughs> lo and behold, that, that sweet wife was calling me saying, can we come talk to you? I said, sure, come on. <laughs> He's always here. He is always here. This used to be. <laughs> Transitions are tough. How about this? Financial com- concerns. The number two problem in marriage and contributor conflict behind poor communication is financial concerns, pressures of bondage. Let me just say this. Couples should think seriously about the amount of debt they go into. I can tell you where this type of stress can destroy a marriage. I've seen it happen firsthand. It can destroy a marriage. And we need, to be, we need to be careful with these enhancers because what it is is sometimes conflict is lying. The seedbed may be conflict. And all of a sudden the issue is really this and, and everything seems to center around the conflict, but we're never talking about the conflict, the true source of the conflict. Next, we have the separation of conflict. Look at verse 11. He says this. He says he's created them in the image who created them. Verse 11, that for there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but what? Christ is all and in all. He's basically saying that we need to learn to come together. We need to learn that even though we may come from different backgrounds, we may have different things that are back there in our past, we need to learn to come together. And the only way you're going to do that is to come together through understanding, the attempt to understand. So how many of you have ever noticed that God has a way of putting opposites together? Have you ever noticed that? It's so cool. I I love being a part of premarital counseling, especially with young couples. I, I love it. And sometimes we'll get in there and we'll talk about it. And I'll say something like, you know, what, what, what really attracted you to him? Oh, he's so good looking. And I love his sense of humor. I love his ambition. I love, I said, and then I'll stop him and say, that'll be the very thing that stands the risk of destroying your marriage. <laughs> what? Yeah, that ambition is going to drive you crazy sometimes. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, but right now they see it as good as gold and he's the finest thing and she's the finest thing. And all of a sudden you start pointing this stuff out and it's like, well, I don't even know if I want to be married. Now you're ready to get married. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But you got to pull it out. You got to see it. I mean, look on your outline. We come from different backgrounds. That right there is enough to breed conflict. Broken families. How, how many of you, let, let's take a look. How many of you came from a, a, a divorced family? How many, how many of you came from that? I did. Did it leave its mark? It does. It, it, it goes with you, doesn't it? And let's just say that you're married to someone who's not from that situation. Many times they don't understand some of the issues you've had to work through. Many times it shows up there because maybe they've never really dealt with the issues until now. How about this? How many of you have had it where the oldest child of a family married the baby of the family? <laughs> Somebody, we got two hands up. That, that must be a hot button over there. So, can you see the conflict that may come from that? Listen, parents, <laughs> the first child comes. Oh my goodness, the protections they put in place. By the time the third or fourth, fifth child comes, what? Just stay out of the street, you'll be fine. 
It's a whole different world we're raised in. You put them together, could there be conflict? Most definitely. How about this? Different views. We come from different views, different faith backgrounds, different political backgrounds. In this day and age, that's fighting, right? But we have all these things that are there. How about this? Different personalities. We all have different personalities. Uh, I love this one. I do it with married couples. I did it with teenagers when I was a student pastor. Uh, the whole idea that uh, the, the different personalities are based on four animals. How many of you ever done that one? Uh, if you've been here any length of time, you know I love this one. It's that idea that there's people who are lions. They have that personality of a lion. They are king of the jungle. They are decisive, but they may run over others in conflict. Anybody know anybody like that? Run right over you. How about the otter? They're playful, they're motivators, but they can manipulate others in conflict or they may even run from conflict. Can you see a difference? Can you imagine putting those two together? You got the manipulator and the one that's trying to run over something. I mean, that could create a lot of issues. How about the beaver? They're reserved, they're consistent, they're very faithful, but they may be inflexible and stubborn in conflict, not willing to move from their position. Some of you are nodding your head. I got one of those. Okay, yeah, bless your heart. How about the golden retriever? They're sensitive. They avoid conflict. They're peacemakers. They're easily hurt and they hold hurt internally. And, and then they bottle conflict. But you know what happens to these precious little animals? They explode at times. You ever been around a golden retriever that exploded? It's not pretty. I want you to think about this. And, and God, it's almost like God has this great sense of humor. We're going to bring opposites and we're going to bring them together. How many of you have noticed you're married to an opposite? Or you have been married or it's, been, it's right there. Have you ever wondered why God would do that to us? You ever wondered that? You know what I think it is? He wants us, I think he uses it as a tool to grow us. I really do. To quit thinking it's all about us. How about this one? The separation of conflict, the different sexes. In relationships, we tend to give what we would want instead of what the other person wants or needs. Have you ever noticed that? I would want this. I don't see why they wouldn't want that. And sometimes we can totally miss it, right? You ladies, am I right in that? Yeah, totally miss it. Because their needs are not being met. Ephesians 5.33, I say this all the time because I believe this is at the core of conflict in marriage. Here it is. He says, let each one of you husbands in particular so love, so cherish his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Does that mean that women don't want respect? Does that mean that men don't want to be cherished? Never had one that would admit it. But anyway, uh, no, what this is pointing out is our greatest need. Men, what do we want? We want to be respected. We want to be admired with those around us. That's our greatest need. You threaten that, you're going to get all kinds of stuff. Women, what do you want? You want to be cherished. You do. You want to be cherished. And when these things are not met, that's where problems begin to occur. There was a book, many of you have heard of the book, called Love Languages. And it talks about, it says that we basically operate around five different love languages. And each of you who are close to someone, everybody has a, probably a different 
version of these languages. Some people like words of affirmation. Oh man, you're beautiful. You did a great job with that. Wow, look at you. Quality time. That means more to this person than anything, that you will carve out time, that you will spend time with that person, that you're there. You're not just physically there, but you are there. And then there's those who like to receive gifts. They're the type, what did you bring me? How many of you have kids like that? You got that kid that you're, you show up and, and they just cling to you. They're so happy to see you. And the other one's not even touching you. They're looking at, what'd you bring us? Don't you feel like popping that one? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, they're just speaking out of their love language. That's the way they feel love. That's the way they feel important. Acts of service. My wife tells me I look, I don't, I don't look any more sexy than when I am washing some type of dish or vacuuming. If I would do that for her, man. So I'd do the clothes. No, I'm kidding. Anyway. And then there's physical touch, physical touch. Some people crave, desire, that's just where they are. But so many times we give what we would want and many times we can miss it. Can I tell you the difference? You do realize when needs are not being met, that's some of the greatest source of conflict that can come up in any relationship. And here's the problem we all have. The reason the conflict is everywhere is most of us, and this was me at one time, and I'm still trying to get it right. Most of us don't attempt to understand those who we're closest to. We don't understand what motivates them. We don't understand from what perspective they're coming from because we don't take the time to listen. We don't take the time to pick up on the clues and the cues and all that. We just kind of do our life. How about the suspense of conflict? First of all, you have the response. And those are the smolders versus the screamers. Now, let me ask you this. What if both of you are screamers in conflict? Loud house, right? You ever had one of those? How about if both of you are powders? Very quiet house, right? Now, think about you. Conflict pops up. What's your natural inclination? For some of you, it's not necessarily the screamer. Maybe that's too strong of a word, but you're, you're not happy until it's settled. You know what I'm saying? Nothing will be at peace, and that's what you're looking for until it's settled. The powder, however, what? They, won't, they don't want to deal with it, do they? And I'm a powder. You probably didn't know that about me, but I am. <laughs> I just soon pout. I got a wife that says, we need to deal with it right now. Sometimes I'm convinced I'm not capable of dealing with it right now. How many of you powders feel that way? Yeah, sometimes it's, it's all give and take. It's, all, it's not that one's right over the other. It's just you agree to understand one another and you get to a point where you can speak into each other's differences. That's the key. How about this one? This, how about the suspense of conflict, the reality? And you've heard me say this many times, expectations versus reality. The distance between expectation and reality will be the level of stress you're experiencing, the level of hurt, and the level of conflict you're faced with. They're determined between expectation and reality. Now, let's suppose some of you have high expectations of people. How many of you have ever met someone with high expectations of people? 
I, I mean, they do. I mean, they would do anything for anybody and they, they want you to do the same thing. But many of us don't measure up, do we? And so they have a high expectation of people, but the reality of most people is where? It's not even close to where they are. So where could the, what kind of hurt could they have? A lot of hurt between expectation and reality. You see what I'm talking about? The same thing happens in marriage. The same thing happens in any relationship where you have an expectation and the reality sits down here. It could be defined as most people around you or just that specific person in your life. And so that distance represents a potential hurt you could be experiencing. The stresses you're under, the amount of conflict you're dealing with, all those things are in play. And so we see the, the whole idea. Next, we see the synthesis of conflict. It's the idea to put things together to make whole. So the first thing we see is the path to wholeness. Look at verse 12. Therefore, based on these things, now that we've established we're the new man, we're going to stay away from certain attitudes. We're going to learn how to handle our conflict. Therefore, as the elect of God, someone that God has chosen, he says, be holy and beloved. He says, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. That word long-suffering, some of your translations will say patience or patient. Conflict will come, listen, to all relationships. The goal is to not allow the conflict to build walls of separation. There's times in which couples will show up and it doesn't take me long to learn that the wall of separation they're dealing with is about as thick as it can get and as tall as it can get. And it's gonna take a while to chip away at that wall and to wear it down. And you know the only way you're gonna do anything with that wall is your attempt to understand that person understand. And you know what I've done this morning? I've given you those talking points. I want to understand who you are. Are you a lion? Are you an otter? Were you a firstborn? Oh, is that your problem? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but really looking through these things, trying to understand. Uh, look at Ephesians 4, 26. Be angry and do not sin. You mean you can be angry and not sin? Yeah. When you're angry at the right things. But then he says this, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. What does that mean? Don't go to bed angry. There's always one. He says, sometimes they just don't go to bed that night. So. And with that couple, I see it. Okay, all right. That will teach you to speak up in the middle of my sermon. All right. <clears throat> See, you done pulled your wife in there with you. Y'all gonna talk about this, I guarantee. <laughs> Nor give place to the devil. You mean to tell me that the conflict I have with another person invites the enemy to come in and do more damage? It's exactly what this verse says. And for some of you, in the most intimate of relationships that you have, the enemy is all over it. And you've allowed him to come in and do all kinds of things. He's made some of you paranoid. He's made some of you where you don't trust one another. He's made some of you where all you are is a walking fight. You've you got a chip on your shoulder. It's always been there. You're just daring somebody to knock it off. You've got everybody around you walking on eggshells because no one knows what kind of temperament you're going to have today. And, and, and we're called, listen, we're called to be whole. 
to be whole. In Matthew chapter five, this is from the message, by the way. Here's what it says. Jesus said this, if you enter your place of worship and about to make an offering and you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave it how? Immediately go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. What does that tell us? That the conflict we have with one another affects our worship with him in which we've placed our life to. It affects everything. And then Romans 12, 18, here's the caveat to it. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, with all people. Sometimes, you know what this is telling us? Sometimes people are a walking conflict and they, you can't be right with them because they won't allow you to be right with them. But the Bible says you do everything in your power and then you leave it there. That's what he's talking about. Why? Because your goal is a path of wholeness. You see, when you're in conflict with someone, especially your spouse, the Bible says you're not whole. Did you know that? Matter of fact, husbands, did you know that the Bible says if you're not at peace with your wife, your prayers will be hindered? And later in that same verse, it says to live with your wife, how? With understanding. It almost puts all, it almost puts all the weight on the husband that they are to go to understand that wife, her love language, the differences between you two, how, what makes her tick, what, what helps her, what hurts her. You get in there and you attempt to understand those things. And then let's look at the path to wholeness. How, how, do you, how, do you, how do you deal with it? I mean, specifically, how do you deal with it? Well, let me say this. Don't go in battle ready. That's the one thing. It's not on your outline. It's just good advice. Some of you, when you feel a conflict come on, here's what happens. Shields go up. Battle ready. Because you, you've learned that with that particular person, it's not safe you're going to, you know that there's going to be pain, terrible pain associated with this possible conflict. And so therefore, maybe there's no communication. Maybe there's poor communication in which you're not even telling the whole truth because you're afraid. But how are we to deal with this? How do we get back on a path of wholeness? Number one, look on your outline. You got to clarify the actual conflict. What has caused the conflict? Identify the wall of conflict. Is it this whole idea of expectation and reality? Could it be that you need to be talking to your husband and say, honey, there's times where I have this expectation. You're not even close. <laughs> How many of you agree that could be painful? But is a conversation worth happen, happening? Yes, it is. And it could go both ways. Not meeting the needs of others. Finances. Identify what is causing the wall between you and that person. Number two, stick to the issue. Many times, the conflict attempts at resolution can cause more conflict than the issue itself. Let me just say this. Here's an easy way to say it. Fight fair. Some of you don't know how to fight fair. You say, fight, that's a strong word. Is it? <laughs> sure looks like a fight when Tina and I do it. Fight fair. Stick to the issue. Don't become historical. You know what I mean? Well, 45 years ago, I'm going to tell you what you did to me. Avoid sarcasm. 
Avoid you statements. You did this. You did that. What, what should you be using? Use I statements. Claim your role, your responsibility for the conflict. Identify that. Claim that. That will disarm them many times, unless they're just a terrible person. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, well, yeah, they're pretty terrible. Anyway, avoid exaggerations. You never, you always. Avoid name calling. That's always a good one, okay? No name calling. You know what I've noticed through being with the person for 37 years now? I think we're learning, we're finally getting this whole idea of how to deal with conflict better. Um, she sometimes reminds me that I have a hard time saying I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Is she here? Where's she at? I'm sorry. For bringing you into this sermon. No. And, and guess what? It puts me on notice. Sometimes it helps. Sometimes. Anyway, let's go on. Avoid power statements and actions. Listen, let me tell you one thing I've learned about women who are in conflict. At least a lot of the women I know. Men, they will out-talk you. They'll put ideas and, and statements together so fast on you, you your head will spin. How many, of you, how many of you know what I'm talking about? They're really good at communicating. And, and we're sitting there most of the time. We're like, well, hold on, go, go back. Uh, <laughs> we, we have a harder time, don't we? We have a hard time making the connections. And women, you need to understand. You need to be slow about it. Help us. But sometimes it's difficult, but we got a word. Avoid silent treatment. Repeat back statements for clarity. <laughs> so you're saying that when you feel this, I'm doing this? That's healthy. That's good. Agree on an outcome and plan. If your issues are financial and every time you seem to have a big major blow up, it's about finances and you realize you're in debt up to your ears and it's always going to be a pressure, have a plan to fix it. Lastly, strive to reflect honor in your words and actions. Sometimes in your conflict, you say some of the, most, the worst things don't you? You say things that many people will say, you know, I didn't mean that. Honey, I didn't mean, well, where did it come from then? He said, oh, I was just trying to get one up on you. I can see that. Use words that honor one another. Next, the picture of wholeness can bring better understanding. Look at verse 13. He says, bearing with one another. How many of you have to bear with people once in a while? Right? It's tough, isn't it? And forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also you must do. And then also this. Conflict can bring better intimacy. Look at verse 14. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. The bond of perfection. And then I want you to write this down. I don't have time to read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8 is a beautiful definition of love and what it looks like when it's demonstrated. And I guarantee you this, when you begin to live out the demonstration of love found in that, that passage, you will be someone that, that conflict will probably not be at the core of who you are any longer. It changes you, and that's what God's word can do. So here's the game changer. Living and experiencing God's truth is the key to overcome dysfunction in relational conflict. It's the key. So where does it begin? 
it begins with God's word. It, it also begins with the Holy Spirit working in your life. It's your willingness to submit to God's word because guess what? Every tool that I've given you to help you with conflict, I've pulled out of God's word. It just means submitting to it. But here's another thing. The goal is to understand the person you're in conflict with. You know where you are. You can probably describe your situation, whether it's right or wrong. But try to understand the other person you're in conflict with. And then try to bring understanding together and get to the root cause of what's really at the conflict. So many of us are talking about the symptoms and we're not talking about the root cause. I want to ask the men to come forward, if you would, for the offering. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come to you right now. We just, we just thank you for just uh, the dynamic of the relationships you've given us in our lives. Father, I pray for husbands and wives that are here this morning, Lord, that they could take something like this this morning and know it's built on your word and attempt to, to come together in a, in a more intimate way, Father, that possibly the walls that are represented in this room with spouses could be torn down. Father, I pray for those that are in this room and maybe they're going through a very difficult time in their life and, and the conflict seems to reside in them. Maybe it's some abuse that happened to them as a child or younger. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one and they're really struggling and they just, they're having a hard time even understanding themselves, much less anyone else. Father, help them to find victory in your word. And Father, we thank you for this offering and pray that you'll use it as we continue to, to go about what you call us to do to reach people. In Jesus' name, amen.